The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes, a frank, open, honest conversation. As always, about gambling addiction, Joining me as always from Epic Risk Management, my main man, Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Craig. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm on the back end of getting over COVID, and I know I sound like it, but one day I will sound like I'm completely healthy, and that'll be a good day. Oh, my. <laughs> yes. I'm going to blame you. I'll just put everything on you anyway. Yeah, I think it's Evan. <laughs> Happy to uh, have joining us uh, from uh, the West Coast this morning is Kitty. Kitty, good morning. How are you? I'm well, Craig. Thanks for having me here. We've just had a lot of great time together, me and Dan, at the National Conference on Problem Gambling. So thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, great. I'm sorry I missed that in uh, in Boston. And uh, Dan told me it was a great week, and I'm glad you're, you're willing to share your story with us here this morning. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, when was the last time you made a wager? You know, that one, that one, I'm not evading that question, but I'd, I'd like the listeners to make that decision. I identify as having been working on my gambling recovery for 10 years now okay. when I first entered inpatient treatment. But maybe as I tell my story, people can decide for themselves where they want to cement that date. Got it. But you're not actively gambling, I assume, correct? No, I'm not. I, I have not been behind a slot machine in 10 years, for sure. One of the reasons I wanted to come on this show is because I like to talk about the gambling morphs. It can become a different thing. And it has tried to reenter my life in the last 10 years in some ways that have had really horrible consequences. So well, I want to be, be transparent about that. I want it to be kind of a warning to people. I want it to normalize that that happens. And it was really not more than a few weeks ago that I was making some decisions that were very high risk and affected the rest of my life, it will. Decisions that made you relate them back to when you were gambling or decisions that took, so Mm -hmm. you weren't gambling, but you felt the same way you felt when you were gambling. I felt similar. I felt like it was on a spectrum. That where I'm going with this story is that as a, a good mentor and an executive director of a nonprofit that does advocacy work, I know the things that need to be in place to support a good recovery. And that includes having a professional support network, a community of people uh, to back me up in my gambling recovery, having strong financial barriers, things like that. And roundabout when the uh, the pandemic started, I loaded one of those brokerage with no fees on apps onto my phone. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Those things? Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Those make it really easy to not just invest in, say, S&P 500 long-term index funds, but to invest and then move things around with some regularity, some frequency can pick up. Um, I found that once I did that, I was looking at it more often than I thought was probably appropriate. So I went to my financial barriers person. Um, I call him my husband, my ex-husband, who's very good, very conservative sure. money, and said, you know, I, I think this feels gambling to me. I think it feels dangerous, and I think I need to ask you to give me some more support with any of my discretionary income I have over what I need to live on 
can you manage it for me and go put it somewhere safe? Well, that, that, so, that lends itself for you to have a tremendous amount of clarity and mental honesty that you essentially, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, don't trust yourself. Oh, I, I will never, I will never not have financial barriers in my life. Right. I will always believe that I need to have a second set of eyes on yep. my finances. I, and I, I think that, the, go ahead. No, I, so I, just, I want to give people a, a chance to get to know you before we get to that part of the nitty gritty. Slots yeah. was your game. When did you start gambling? How old were you about? I bought a scratch-it ticket when I was 18 for a dollar, and I won $10. And I put a $1 gold coin thing, a token, in a slot machine, one of those one-armed bandits, in Cripple Creek, Colorado, an old ghost town. Yep, I know. And I won 100 when I turned 21. And I went, wow. this is the promised land. I'm God's favorite child. This makes up for every bad thing that's happened in my life. How do I get more? Just like many people that have early wins. I actually got engaged in that casino. Wow. <laughs> I mean, true story. Yeah, Yeah, true story. I I think the max bet was two bucks, by the way. But I got engaged in that casino. So, so you, so you you have a couple very small wins, a scratch off win, a uh, slot win. How quickly did that drive you as a young woman to start gambling more often? It it has this barrier of not being terribly accessible. I was working on the 16th Street Mall as a cocktail waitress in Denver, and uh, I would have to drive, what, half hour, 45 minutes up the hill. So I didn't make it to Cripple Creek or Blackhawk, but I don't know, twice a month. And I did lose more than I planned to. I immediately was not able to set a time and a budget. I've never found that to be effective from the beginning. But there was that that having the the delay of getting there, it kind of curbed the consequences for me for many years. Sure. How quickly did you find, looking back on it now, that a couple times a month became much more than that, or at least the thought of gambling became mentally and emotionally all-consuming for you? The the consequences became serious within the first couple of months of doing that, and I continued to do it nonetheless and then build a life around supporting that. So that the consequences financially or just lifestyle or both? Most, mostly financially. I would, I would um, as, a, as a server, you have cash on hand, and I would end up going after work more frequently, lose all my cash, then not have enough money for rent. So... Well-meaning friends would let me clean their apartment or something to to make enough money to pay my rent. Got it. So, and how old are you about when this is going on? That's when I was about 25. I'm 53 now. Got it. And how long were you playing on a regular level before you recognized that you needed help and actually got help? Oh, I, I didn't realize I needed help at all during that time. It wasn't until I was in my 40s. And married, and I moved to a place that gambling was really accessible, kind of a casino on every corner kind of arrangement. And I had that sort of hat trick of compulsive gambling danger of time, money, and accessibility that I realized it was pretty problematic. It was also combined with my alcohol use disorder. That's when it got bad. Did, did you gamble more when you drank, or did you drink more when you gambled, or both? They they were they just went hand in hand. Got it. I, I would yeah I would get up in the morning 
My husband would go off to work. I would start day drinking and head on over to the Crown Casino in Melbourne and drink and gamble all day and then figure out how to cover it up so I could continue the pattern. And that me, went on for a couple of years. Let me stop you there for a moment and bring Dan in. Dan, we've heard a lot of gamblers, not all, I want to be clear about that, but a lot of gamblers have talked about that first time experiencing gambling, whatever the age is, and winning, and that early win fueling a lifetime of, I guess, chasing, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the story that we hear, and it's so similar. Like Kitty said, you know, it was that early exposure. It's that this feels really good. I want more of this feeling. And that's where it, it's it's not about the money, you know, and that's what we have to continually reinforce, whether you're, you're a counselor, whether you're a parent, whether you're a friend, or whether you're someone who gambles. The money issues often result from a gambling addiction, and they often have severe consequences, but it really comes down to being more of an emotional issue. You know, it's something that you, you don't know how to deal with or you don't want to deal with. Uh, you don't have the right tools. So you gamble to escape a problem or you gamble for that action and that rush. And it's just that feeling of, of that early win. It's like, yes, this is easy. Why wouldn't I want to do this? Kitty, how long did it take for your husband at the time to uh, catch on to the fact that you weren't, you know, you were lying to him. You were hiding things from him. You were you know, gambling family money. Did it take a long time, or was he on to you from jump? He he was he was very active in monitoring finances, and he knew, and he didn't know how to help me. He would ask that I go to a GA meeting, and that would kind of get him off my case for a while. Um, so he he this poor man was willing to go to the end of the earth, literally, to try to help me find out who I was or have other activities to do instead. And he wasn't able to figure out how how to help me fix it. Even the financial barriers, I would just blow right past him. So what, if you don't mind sharing, what was your bottom of the barrel? All right, I got to get my act together. Moment that made you actually get your act together. Um, we ended up traveling so he could help me try to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. We were writing a book, and we were living in Paris. This was 10 years ago. I took his mother on a cruise to Norway and Sweden, knowing full well that there was a casino on board. I did not know that they don't do any kind of credit check and that you're just expected to pay your casino cage tab before you disembark. And that's when things got really sticky. So by the time I got back to Paris, he's like, I'm done. I tried everything. You can go anywhere you want, but you can't stay here. And that that was really, um, I don't really believe in a bottom. I think you can take a, a shovel with you. But that's when I thought about just ending things, that I wasn't going to be able to ever fix this. When you say ending things, you don't mean not waking up tomorrow. You mean stopping gambling, yeah? Oh, no. No, I, I mean ending my life. I mean, there's been a number of times, including that one, where I thought I've tried everything and I can't get the gambling to stop. So I, I just can't live with these consequences and I don't want to be alive anymore. Did you actually ever try to follow through on it? Yeah, I did. Yeah, at that time. Mm -hmm. And and it's something that I still talk about with my community is that we rate on a scale of 1 to 10 if you're having struggles in your life right now that make you feel like having a permanent solution to what's very likely a very temporary problem, 
Talk to people around you. Call 988. Get your support network involved. Find people that are safe to tell that that is happening. You know, I'm glad you have the the strength and you're brave enough to talk about it. Dan and I talk about it a lot. You know, you have to be able to talk about suicide because if we keep, you know, brushing it under the rug or hiding it, you know, we're going to lose more people to it. And like you said, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, which is a great way to put it. When you, if you don't mind speaking a little bit more on that, when you mm-hmm. were going through that part of your life, that depression where you thought not waking up the next day was the only solution, looking back on that aspect of your life, did you write a note? Did you want to explain to anybody why you were doing it? And how close did you come to actually following through? I did write a note. It was stored on my computer and what it actually said was suicide note for, and then my husband's name. Yeah. I did make an attempt to end my life during that time that I just described on the cruise. And I mean, if, if, if the salacious details are interesting to people, I'll tell them. But It's not so much, on- I want to be very sensitive to this. It's not that I want, or the audience wants to hear salacious details, but I think uh-huh. we have to be willing to have the conversation so people recognize the depths of where gambling can take people. Yeah, sure. No, I'm, I'm, I'm okay talking about it. I mean, after realizing how much money I was going to owe to that cruise ship before I'd be allowed to disembark, I was standing late one night. I think I probably had a good deal of alcohol in my system on the transom deck of um, cruise line, looking down probably 12 stories to the, the transom wake behind the ship. And, and doing the math on what would end my life. Would it be when, when I hit the water? Would it be eventually drowning? Uh, would it be the temperature of the water? And I thought through all of the different ways that my life would end. What kept me alive at that point is I had already caused so much harm to my then husband that I didn't want him to have to deal with that mess I create. Got it. So you had that, that moment where... You said, I'm not going to do this to him and didn't jump off the boat. Correct. Yeah. Got it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Kitty joins us from out of the West Coast and, of course, Dan Trelaro. Kitty was just sharing with us a very uh, emotional part of her life when she contemplated suicide to uh, end her problems and her worries with gambling. But the love of her husband led her not to follow through on it. Walk us through just for a moment, and we'll then kind of fast forward your story a bit. When you decided not to go through with it, do you sit down with your husband at the time and tell him that you contemplated it? And how quickly after that cruise ship did you uh, obviously get divorced and then recognize I got to legitimately start getting some help? Uh, it was it was when I returned to where he was in Paris that he received assistance from credit card companies that I was increasing the limit on to be able to pay my way off of that boat. And that's when he said, it's, it's time for you to go. I did everything I could for you. So um, it was, Several months later, when I was then living back in Oregon and he was still traveling, that he ran across on a computer 
a document that said suicide note for and, and his right. name. And he actually thought in that plan was to kill him. To kill him? Yeah. When he saw that, he wow. thought that I was going to stage his death because my gambling had got to the point that I would want the money to continue my gambling journey. That must have been a tough phone call. It was really tough. Yeah. And what's amazing about it is that it sounds like he's still in your life today and he's a trusted friend. Very much so. That was the most important thing to me. I think people can say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I did wrong. What you got to do then is fix it. And I have spent pretty much every moment of the last 10 years trying to be the person that he believed in sure. that, that does fix things. So after that cruise ship and uh, the discovery of the letter, at that point, you're now working towards bettering yourself and kind of conquering these demons that exhibit themselves through gambling and drinking. How long did it take you to find yourself in a good place where you, you know, liked the image you saw when you looked in the mirror and you felt good about who you were or at least who you were becoming? Within the first six months when I got back to the States, that was 10 years ago, I was in inpatient treatment in one of the very few facilities here in the country. And my counselor took his whole gambling recovery team to the state capitol to listen to legislators debate some kind of gambling-related bill. And I decided, I don't know where it came from, I was going to go sign up and tell my story. And I sat down and they listened. And that was one of the first times I felt like my life could have some meaning that I went through what I went through so it could make a difference to other people. That's when the corner turned. Well, I'm so proud of you to, for sharing the story and finding that place. And Dan, we talk about it a lot where, you know, hearing these stories, men, women, white, black, different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds, you know, these stories are real and we just need to start telling a lot more of them. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, I, I had the privilege just to kind of meet Kitty and we talked face to face for a bit at the conference in Boston last week. And, and Kitty, you're just the way you just approach things um, is just amazing because we have to reduce stigma. We have to reduce shame. You know, we can't because when we keep things secret, it just breeds more shame and more stigma. Then we're afraid to talk about those struggles that we have. You know, we're supposed to get this thing right the first time we start it, you know, and if there's any slip up, it's like, oh, no, you know, this is horrible. It's not horrible. It's a journey we're on. It's a day by day battle. And in some cases, like we've heard today and so many other people say it, it's a life or death battle. And, you know, it, it, this, this journey is unique to the individual. It's it's um, it's so important that we have that support. And I'm just sitting here listening and just kidding. I'm, I'm just proud and honored to be a part of your support network, just like you are a part of mine. And so I'm I'm just thankful for that. Are you in a good place now, Kitty? Do you feel good about yourself now? I feel like I'm being groomed to be a warrior and an ally. And I feel scared that things are going to get far worse for gambling and that this is not for babies. I feel like I've learned how to kind of take a hit and, and stand up to the old rope-a-dope. I think I have a glass jaw that something can just kind of sucker punch me and blindside me and put me down, and that I have a lot of work to do to insulate myself from that. But I have an incredible support community. I have my dream job. Um, I, I have nothing to complain about. I do also have a lot of pain in my life right now. Pain from your past. 
No, paying for my present. I mean, I'm I'm putting my parents in uh, assisted living. Gotcha. My mom has COVID. I've just lost every penny I've saved in the last 10 years by having my financial barriers um, make it so I didn't access it in a way that I could prevent it from not being properly invested. So it's interesting. Um, you've you've come so far and you're still so concerned that you're going to make a misstep. What do you think it'll take for you to wake up one day and feel good about yourself and trust yourself to not make, you know, bad or cataclysmic decisions? I I think it's the the fear that makes us deliver. I think it's healthy to have a little bit of distrust. I think that's probably yeah. the best thing people in gambling recovery can do is know yeah. that this is a chronic thing and it tries to come back and you hope it doesn't come back too hard and flatten you. And that if there are consequences, um, they're few and far between and mitigated and you just keep going. Sure. I, you know, we talk on the show a lot about there are people listening or family members or loved ones, friends of people that may have gambling problems that are listening and I always wonder what people like you, like me, like Dan, would say to somebody who's at step one. You know, you on that cruise 10 years ago. Um, life's not perfect for sure. You still have your issues. But what would you say to that young man or woman today who's at day one? They recognize they have a problem. They're willing to get help. They want to get help. But, man, they're scared of taking that first step. What would you say to those people? I would tell him that the motivation isn't always the first thing. I think sometimes that that sort of just do it thing that you've got to change the behavior. I don't think we talk enough about financial barriers and taking the steps that are necessary. I know you all are really working to have better treatment out there where you are. I mean, you, you have got to get away from the accessibility and that starts building some momentum where you're then more motivated to introduce things into your life that are meaningful, other ways to spend your time, having richer relationships. So please just put the wheels in motion to do the things that are suggested to you. I also want to tell them that there's lots of different pathways to recovery. And if you hear, go to GA and you go to GA and it isn't for you, then find something else. Get individual counseling, go to Smart Recovery, go to Recovery Dharma. Um, there's many, many other things you can even do like fitness or yoga or meditation. There's plenty of things out there that podcasts are kind of a great new way to get education about your gambling. Yeah. In other words, recovery is not one size fits all. And I talk about that a lot. You know, I, I don't feel comfortable in GA rooms. I go to them and I've been to them, but I don't like being in those rooms. And I was blessed that I found a room that I, I love the people in the room, but it's okay if it's not for you. You just got to find something that is for you, and ultimately you will find it if you're willing to search for it and if recovery is important. I, I wonder for you, before we let you go, do you miss gambling at all? I miss it terribly. You do? Terribly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There is nothing like it. And and to say, oh, no, I have I really enjoy washing my dishes and going to the gym and walking my dogs. That's true. It's a, I, I have tried to live by the spiritual principles of GA, of being hu- humble, honest, kind, generous. I do the things. But the instant gratification of pushing a button, having a massive dopamine blast to my brain was so easy and so welcome from 
the struggles I have in life, that it is going to be impossible to replace that level of fun and hope. It's just going to be different, and it's going to it's going to be better in some ways. But um, yeah, yeah, I do miss it. Are you okay with that? Oh yeah, I mean, I I believe in in the honesty of it. When when I work with peers and say, oh no, gambling was just horrible. There was nothing good about it. What a stupid thing to do. I've lost them. That's just completely violated mm. the whole context of the relationship. Right. It was there for you. It was your best friend. It, it was yeah. accessible and. I weep to think how accessible it's going to be for folks now that we're doing handheld digital. Well, listen, I think you need to know, and you and I have never met, that I'm really proud of you. And you make it easier for gamblers who haven't yet had that moment or taken that first step to take the first step. And I think the worst thing for our community would be for somebody like you to stop talking. I think you need to talk more. I think people need to hear your story because it is honest. It is raw. And more than anything else, it's authentically real. And I think ultimately, if anything comes from this show, the partnership I have as a responsible gambling ambassador with FanDuel and the content that we're going to be doing coming forward, the stuff that Dan does with Epic on you know college campuses with athletes, we all need to start talking more, not less. And I'm really, really proud of you. And I hope there is a day when you wake up and look in the mirror and not like but love the reflection you see in that mirror because you have a life worth living and your story is going to save somebody and that's very powerful and I can't thank you enough for coming on today. It's my pleasure, Craig. Thank you, Dan. Well, thank you, Kitty. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and please stay in touch and my very best to you, okay, Kitty? Thank you, Craig. Thanks for what you do. Thank you. Have a great day. Dan, I know you got to meet Kitty in person. Just hearing her talk, I can only imagine what that meeting was like in person. And that's why we do this show. It's why you do what you do. It's why I do what I do beyond just this show. These stories have to get told. And, you know, the threat of losing people to, you know, self-inflicted wounds is real. And it's really scary. It is. And, you know, I, I saw Kitty, I guess, throughout the conference, the, you know, few-day conference, three-day conference, and you couldn't tell by looking at her that she was carrying a lot of that, that, that pain, right, that current pain, the past pain, because as humans, we're good at wearing masks. You know, we're good at putting a mask on every day to kind of disguise how we're feeling, but you can only do that for so long. And when I finally had the chance to talk with her, she was just so, just so energetic and just so passionate about recovery and you know, hey, this is what's going on in my life. And I said, listen, it, w- it would be great to have you come on the show and just kind of talk about that because we have to continue to represent all facets of this disease, whether the, it's the good, the bad, the ugly, it's real. And I think that's the one thing I keep coming back to, Craig, is that we always have to keep it real. It's not always pretty. We don't always agree with it, but we have to be willing to have those hard conversations so we can continue to let people know that we're in their corner, that we're here for you, and that we need to do something different. Um, and we don't always agree. You know, the operators were at this conference. You had people from all different walks. And the operators, I heard one operator come away saying, I've never really thought about gambling in this way. It's making me rethink our, our policies and programs in place. Well, you know, it's a, it's a mental health cliche, but it's a powerful one, and that is it's okay to not be okay. 100%. And, you know, there's this stigma. Like, I, I, my story is very public. You know, I contemplated not living. You know, and that's real and it's tangible. I look back on that now saying I can't believe I I was ever in that position in my life. 
because I've you know gotten the help I need. I've gone four years now without gambling, et cetera. But man, when I was sitting on that chairlift in uh, Vancouver in British Columbia, that was real. It was tangible. And while I feel like I'm a much different person today, in that moment, it is overwhelming. And I think we need to be very sensitive to that. Yeah, in that moment, that is the most real thing you're feeling. And, and, and so that's how you felt, right? And we have to acknowledge that. And I think Kitty kind of highlighted that by simply saying that's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And, well, and you don't get a second chance. And I'm so – listen, man, I know I speak for, for thousands of other people – I'm glad you're here today, and I'm proud of you, too. Well, it also means we got a lot of work to do. So uh, we're just we getting started on it. Uh, appreciate your time, as always. We'll do it again next week. Uh, thanks, Dan. Have a great weekend. Have a great one. Uh, JR's coming up next, and Evan and I are back together uh, Monday at 2 o'clock. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you're in a position where you feel like the walls are caving in and you're not sure who to talk to, pick up the phone, call somebody. There will always be a voice at the other end of the phone willing to listen. So please pick up the phone and do that. And thank you so much for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.